As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Attention all listeners on this frequency, stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen. Coming from the Bellingham, Washington, Medic to Medic Podcast Studios. Hi, it's another episode of Medic to Medic Podcast. Hi, it's Steve Cohen. And you can listen to this podcast as well as download others at Apple Podcasts, Speaker.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and all your favorite other platforms. Today, I am joined by Trisha Casey, who is a longtime paramedic who has dedicated her career to improving emergency care for pediatric patients with medical complexities. In 2014, she designed and implemented the STARS program at Rock Township Ambulance District in Jefferson County, Missouri. The STARS program proved to be so successful and quickly was adopted by Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. So, Trisha, welcome to the Medic Podcast. Thank you. Well, uh, how are things in St. Louis? It's St. Louis um, 2020, so, you know, I don't know what else you can say about that. You know, it's, uh, I'd like to say things are better than they are, but, you know, we're, we're being optimistic for next year, so... I've been to St. Louis once and went for a conference, stayed by the Arch at the Adams Mark Hotel, I believe. And my wife went yeah. to school in, in St. Louis. She went to Washington University. So she joined me with my, at that time, my two-year-old son. It was kind of interesting. He did not go up in the Arch with me, but I did. I've always liked the Arch and I always wanted to see what it was like. So I, I did take that opportunity to tour around and went up the Arch. It was kind of exciting. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm a paramedic by trade. I, I, I'm often, it's assumed that I'm an RN. I just finished nursing school, but I have not taken my board, so I'm not an RN. Um, I've been a paramedic for 24 years now, and that is my passion. That's where I feel like I truly shine is in the back. That's where I'm most comfortable, at least. Um, I actually worked in and around St. Louis my entire career. So I consider myself a little bit spoiled in that I've had three adult level one hospitals always within a half an hour and two level one pediatric facilities. So um, 
you know, I've ever experienced being, having a lack of resources when it comes to hospitals, but, uh, it's been, it's been, a, I've had a fun career. I've worked in some really high paced services, very busy. And I currently work for St. Louis city part-time just to keep my skills up basically. And to keep myself sane, which is funny. Some women have spa days. I jump on an ambulance in St. Louis city on the weekends. So <laughs> that's my getaway right now. But yeah, my, you know, my passion is improving care for pediatric patients with medical complexities. And I, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart and always have had one for the vulnerable in general. Um, and pediatrics as well. So those that combined into, you know, me creating the STARS program, actually, I I kind of had a unique perspective on the issue. I grew up with a father who had a um, late diagnosis of one of the muscular dystrophy syndromes and a rare adult onset, but he progressed to where he required a tracheostomy and you had frequent emergency visits and was on a ventilator. And I got to live that, you know, being there for the majority of them, watching my mother as a lay person struggle through a lot of it also came from the hospital originally. When I was an EMT, I never worked in the field. I worked in the ICU and Bernie at one of our level one facilities where everybody was on event. So a lot of critical care, a lot of very, very, very sick, complex people. And that became my normal at a very young age. Fast forward, when I became a mother, I actually, um, one of my twins has Deuce syndrome, which is a rare epilepsy syndrome. Along with that, she has a bleeding disorder, which is very mild. But I knew, you know, from my experience as a paramedic that, you know, I, I really didn't want the, very, the most experienced paramedic running a call on her without me there, you know, um, I knew that they would struggle a little bit with some of her atypical presentations. But anyhow, I I skipped ahead a little bit. All of these issues, you know, all of these experiences rather combined gave me a, a very, almost an advantage when it comes to improving care for this population because I could come from the perspective of a family member and a hospital employee and a paramedic. So I can do a lot of mediating and I can do a lot of problem solving, you know, when it comes to these issues. What got your interest in emergency medical services? Oh gosh, you know, so many things. Um, EMS, honestly, okay. I thought I wanted to go to nursing school right out of high school. And, you know, you had to do all your prereqs for that. And I saw this EMT course that was offered at the community college. And I, the, the, you know, you're, you're just getting into college and all these prereqs are so incredibly boring. And all I wanted to do is, you know, really take care of people and, you know, jump into medicine. So I'm like, this is a semester. Why not? You know, this is really neat looking. And it, I was hooked on day one, you know, I, disappointed my whole family and the hospital I worked for and I took the EMS the free hospital route so yeah I just it was very it was for me you know I I fell in love with it immediately and um while I'm extremely compassionate 
I also have the ability to stay calm in very wild situations, you know, so that's, that's helpful. And it's just a place that's, you know, somewhere I excelled. I fit in right away and it, I just took to it and I never left. So you say you have this calming effect in these wild situations. Can you elaborate on a couple of those situations or a story you'd like to tell us or something that had an impact on you? Yeah, gosh, you know, and, and to narrow it down to just one call, I can't, that's hard. I don't know that I can narrow it down to, to well, one Well, just any call. It's okay. It doesn't have to be one call. Yeah, I mean, I just think just in, in general, especially when you have family members who are also extremely anxious and scared, um, new employees potentially, you know, first responders who have arrived earlier in some cases who might have escalated a little bit. One of my rules is always, you know, if you come in a situation with this high level of energy, those around you are going to meet it and exceed it. So while you must, you know, that sense of urgency is very important, you've, you've got to maintain calm because nothing is going to get done working off of adrenaline. You're going to have errors. You know, you're going to, it's, it's not going to go well. So, you know, I've always preached that maintain your sense of urgency, but take things down a notch if you can and show that even if you don't feel confident, try to exhibit that confidence at the time. Um, try to give the family confidence in you. You know, I'm honest with family members. I will tell them things aren't looking good right now, but we're going to do everything we can. And I'm going to do everything to the best of my ability. And I usually tell them I'm, I'm going to treat your mom, your dad, your child as if they're my mom, my dad, my child. This is what I would do for them. And I'm going to do my very best to get them to the very best care. I mean, that's something that's very important to me is interactions with family. And this could potentially be the very worst day of their life. And EMS should not be a factor in making it worse. We should be there to make it better if possible, at least not more traumatic. Let me take you back to your, you've been a paramedic in EMS for you know 24 plus years. Tell me about some of the cases that you went with pediatrics and how you were then and how you are now. Yeah, he's never... It's never really terrified of pediatric calls. Um, I did work in urban area where we did have a higher percentage of pediatric calls and sometimes not always with the super high acuity level. We had the high acuity as well, but we had a broader range. Definitely I have more confidence now for sure as, as I've matured. But something I did recognize early and I still recognize is that, you know, we train pretty intently on you know on pals for these cardiac arrest type situations for usually typical kids or um that big the big trauma arrest if if that's you know what the case may be but you know we're very very algorithm based which emergency medicine is it's the safest way to be you see abc you see a presentation of abc you treat with one two three but unfortunately, a lot of the cases that we are faced with with pediatric patients are not those typical kids. Um, children with medical complexities are much more likely to require 911 um, and have that interface with emergency services than typical kids are. That would always pose challenges. 
um, just, you know, actually trying to gain a good understanding, attain that understanding of what normal is for them, you know, what that baseline is. I know I struggled with that in the beginning. I recognize that as a problem very early. It's, you know, they're only, you know, max about 5% usually of the whole call volume for EMS agencies in general. So they're already not typically, you know, not your norm. A lot of people have very low comfort with them. And then you add in medical complexities and you can multiply that times times 10 sometimes, depending on what the case may be. But I feel like I had, uh, I had very good, I was, I was fortunate early in my career that I got to work with some well, seasoned medics. Yeah, I really did. You know, and I, I don't see that as much now in the field I see with our we had more paramedics and I feel like I see more paramedics just, you know, being thrown out with young EMTs right away. I had the benefit of working with seasoned paramedics for probably the first two years of my career, which helped when you had someone who'd been there, done that, who's calm next to you. Now we understand the experience you've had with your, your parents and your dad and now with your daughter and everything, but what was the catalyst for the STARS program? I've had articles written that said, you know, it all it all started with one kid and one call. Really, that's not true. It, it was it was multiple calls. Um, I was a supervisor at the time. Again, I had the perspective that I had, and I had one thing I was good at. I've always been good at is mediation, um, and following up on unfortunately the complaints that come in sometimes, and I developed a relationship with the the mother of one of our patients who had Dravet syndrome, who we ran on quite frequently. I listened to her concerns. I understood her concerns and we did training at the department on this particular child. Got everybody used to his norm, used to the fact that, you know, he may have six generalized tonic clonic seizures in one day. And he may stay home. And if mom's comfortable with it, that's what how it's going to be. You know, we may call neurology and they may change his medications, but this is his life. He's never going to be seizure free. One of the complaints is that, you know, the fire department arrived and told mom, oh, absolutely not. He has to go to the hospital because unfortunately they didn't understand that was the case. This is a very sick little boy who will always have this issue. Um, but anyhow, we did training on him and his particular needs, but then we would have new hires every six months with part-time employees. And if we didn't repeat that and I would hear them running to his house, I would have a moment of panic, like, oh gosh, they don't know him. Like, you know, this is going to be disastrous. I should probably call on the way, give them a little bit of an update. So we, we, when we had him in the, in the district and then we had a, an, an issue where one of them, and this was prior to me coming to Cardinal Glennon, um, one of my paramedics came back and said, from a transporting to St. Louis Children's Hospital and said, you know, wow, I can't believe I just, I just got scolded by the receiving physician for having this child on high flow oxygen said, don't you know, that can be dangerous, but he was sitting in the seventies and, but he has, you know, this heart condition and he's not supposed to have the oxygen. And I was like, what? Yeah. She said his normals in the seventies. And I'm like, that just blew my mind. It was something I hadn't heard of. And it drove me crazy. I'm like, where does this kid live? You know, where was this call at? What is wrong with him? You know, why is oxygen potentially dangerous? Why are his baseline oxygen sats in the seventies? 
this is dangerous. This is a dangerous situation. We need to know about this. This is definitely not the norm. Um, so I had to seek out that situation and mitigate that. Um, I was mind blown. Um, then actually one of our paramedics, uh, one of our full-time paramedics had a little one in the NICU for, oh gosh, probably six months or so who has Cornelia DeLang syndrome, but he came home with, you know, significant heart history intervention. He had oxygen, he was in aspiration issues, a G tube. And I'm like, you know what, this is one of our own family coming home now. We could, I'm not comfortable caring for him. He needs to go downtown. If they call 911, I am, I, as an experienced paramedic, as an educator, as a supervisor, am not comfortable with this infant in the back of my ambulance passing hospitals, going to his hospital where he needs to be. We've got to fix this. So uh, honestly, I Googled special needs, pediatrics, EMS, and oh my gosh, you know, you get 101 articles on the issues, um, what people have done to try to fix the problem. I pulled up the EIF form that the ASAP and AAP made and took a look at that. I thought, you know, that's a, that's great information. We need to know that. However, being handed that form upon arrival for a high acuity incident really isn't going to be so helpful. If you don't, you've never heard of this syndrome before, you've never laid eyes on this equipment before, there's no time to sit back, read, study, and learn. So um, I took that form, took the information from that form that I felt was most pertinent to the pre-hospital, broke it down, um, decided that we needed to find out who these kids were in our, in our ambulance district and, you know, make these plans for them. Um, we needed to have education on them prior to an event taking place. We needed to pre-plan just like we, the fire department pre-plans for buildings. You can rebuild a building. You can't replace a child. So, so much more important to pre-plan for them, in my opinion. And of course, I got hit with the, you know, this is HIPAA. This, no, this is emergency medical care. Um, and it's extremely important. So it was successful. I, I wanted to flag the kids, but I didn't want to flag them just at their homes because kids travel. And I knew a lot of our kids would be at school and at the store, et cetera. So we gave them numbers. And I talked to our dispatch center, and they agreed to house these um, numbers, attach them to the homes. We did flag homes, but we told them, you know, the kids are also going to be numbered for this reason, and this is their emergency plan. We kept the plans in a folder in the ambulance, and then if the parents, I, I still remember the first time a STARS call was dispatched, I was so excited. I'm like, yes, it worked. You know, it, the ambulance was dispatched, and you know, dispatch said, you know, right after the initial address and the nature of the call, they said, you know, be advised you're responding on STARS patient four. And, they, you know, I heard him say that's clear. And, you know, I was able to review the call afterwards and talk to the mom and see how it went. And it was just, it gave me chills to hear it dispatch and to know, oh my gosh, this is something that works. And I, I really didn't have any intention of it being anything but that for my district. I was happy there in my little place with my first 14 kids who I still dug the originals, but it, it worked and it caught the attention of one of the 
pediatric emergency physicians at Cardinal Glennon. He had had some bad outcomes for children with tracheostomies, just secondary to clubs and decannulations, which are such an easy fix. Um, but it's something that's just not taught in paramedic, typical paramedic curriculum. It really bothered him. He has a passion for EMS as well. And he took a look at what we were doing with one of our tracheostomy patients. And he was just blown away. He's like, we need to do this everywhere. So I uh, started working with other ambulance districts through contract work at Cardinal Glennon, helping them start up their own programs. And then it just... Oh my gosh, that would be a three hour long podcast to go through the transition to where we are now, but it exploded. It kind of, you know, we lost control of it a little bit, had to rein it back in. And now we are completely a hospital based program where we create the emergency plans. We identify the children who we believe are at risk. I have a partner who's also a paramedic who writes the plans, which is extremely important. A lot of people question that. Um, you know, you have paramedics writing plans for these extremely complex kids. It's like, well, yes, because we have a full understanding of the capabilities and limitations of the providers who are going to be caring for these children when they go home. We understand their protocols. We know who their medical directors are. We know what equipment they do and don't have. We know what drugs they do and don't carry. Um, and we can do risk mitigation by looking at this kid, distance from hospital, expected emergencies, and really write a good plan for them. You know, something else that we've been so fortunate, my team, my, my team at Cardinal Glennon has been so fortunate that we've had such amazing buy-in from the hospital. All of our subspecialties within the hospital have just really, you know, taken, to, they, they love what we do. They um, have really bought in, and the hospital now has really kind of owned that it's our responsibility if we're going to, for lack of a better term, create these children um, in our NICU and in our, you know, our PICU and send them home with extreme technology dependence and complexity, we should probably start considering EMS as an extension of the care team. Um, we do have a responsibility to follow them home and make sure they're safe, not just within our four walls. You know, their care doesn't stop there. We've got to be smart and we've got to take responsibility for the fact that a lot of our kids have gone home and not done so well and have gotten in a lot of trouble and it could have been prevented. A couple follow-ups. One is that we really need to define what STARS mean. So why don't you do that first for us? I get ahead of myself. I apologize. So STARS is an acronym for Special Needs Tracking and Awareness Response System. That took a long time to come up with. <laughs> I had many, I knew I wanted to have a cool name, a catchy name. And actually, so originally at Rock Township, when it was first made, they were the rock stars. So it was catchy, it fit, and I could fit what I needed to it. So that's what STARS stands for. What other names were you considering before you settled on after rock stars and stars? Oh, I was trying to just, um, I, I knew like it was probably supposed to going to start with special needs. Um, so I was like snow and snowflakes and um, I don't know. I was just, I threw around a ton. It was a long time ago. It was going on six years ago now, but yeah, it, it, it was something I, I tend to fixate um, that I obsessed over you know, writing, jotting down notes for a long time and finally came up with stars. 
looking at your program and reading about your program, starting in 2014, you started with 14 kids. It's really community paramedicine uh, for kids. That's kind of the comparison, maybe not bad comparison, good comparison. What do you think? At best, you know, that that's amazing. When we see that happen, that's amazing. When we see it kind of roll into more of a community paramedicine type program, because honestly, you know, the, the subspecialty group, I don't know if you call them a subspecialty because they take complex kids. So from a bunch of subspecialties, but the group I work with, the clinic I work with most closely in the hospital, the closest is the complex medical care clinic. They have a goal of reducing recidivism and, you know, they, they want to keep these kids home safely if possible. And every time we can prove that EMS can go out and troubleshoot equipment, perform good assessments, we've had them replace, you know, help, help replace G-tubes, completely replace G-tubes after training them. We've had them, you know, help do a trach change. We had a, we had a paramedic at a district an hour from us, you know, mom left. It was always when mom leaves, you know, it, and grandma just wasn't fully comfortable. He got there, did a trach chain. She was fine. She stayed home. We've had them correct blood glucose and had them stay home. We've had them run 12 leads and talk to cardiologists and had them stay home. We've had them give clotting factor to, you know, our, you know, a child with hemophilia and then talk to our hemostasis clinic and that kid stay home. That's an IV only drug for those who aren't familiar so, and a lot of our kids don't have support. Some parents aren't as skilled at starting IVs as others. So sometimes they just, that's all they need assistance with is just getting that IV access and running the drug. And they don't necessarily have to come into the hospital. So yes, in those instances, comparing it to community paramedicine is, is appropriate and accurate. And it's a need, it, the, the need is there. And I hope that we grow in that aspect. Well, it has grown, right? You had 14. How many are in your database now? I'd have to pull it up today. Oh, um, just, Pat, we, we just, we've held the number 911 because we want to, we want 911 to be, you know, a big media release. But I think we're at 919, I think we put in today. So, and I think the live children, you know, when we say live, that means the ones that are um, have not graduated the program. Um, the ones that are actually live and viewable in the system right now, it's an electronic system. I think it's 786, I believe, which would probably change tomorrow. So, I want to talk a little bit about the care plans. If you could just sure. give me and give give our listeners a little bit of detail about what's in those care plans and you say your partner writes those care plans, just some components of it and maybe some examples of what goes in some of those categories. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, the care plans can be something as simple as, you know, a, an accurate baseline. You know, we used to take every child that was referred to us, but now we do have to, look at who, you know, really needs to be in STARS and who's really at risk. Um, there are children who aren't that extremely complex, but the one reason we take them is because their baseline is so far off from typical. One of my 
isms that I have is, you know, if you don't know what normal is, it's impossible to assess for the abnormal. So your assessment's going to be nothing. You have to know what's typical for that kid. So baseline findings is actually at the very top. And with that are baseline vital signs, which can be all over the place for our kids. You know, for example, the child I gave that I had no idea about in the beginning of STARS, which is now the norm for me, are those hypoxic heart kids that we have going home. So we might say, you know, we want to keep their oxygen sats between 75 and 85. We don't want to push above 85. You might start getting into some trouble then. We have their diagnoses and past procedures. And then underneath that, we have anticipated emergencies along with any known treatments. It's honestly rare that treatment truly deviates from typical protocol. Um, You know, we consider emergency tracheostomy care not a deviation of protocol. That's, that's, you know, correcting an obstructed airway. So we will have instructions, though, for that. We have links to tracheostomy, emergency tracheostomy algorithms. You can put attachments on all of our forms. You know, for example, a child who's at risk for adrenal crisis, you know, our endocrine kids will have their instructions to give an emergency steroid for, but um, fluid restriction. There's also caution notes that we will, different caution, you know, don't, don't position them, you know, on the right side, you know, you can't access, you know, anything on this arm, you know, again, please note baseline oxygen saturations, you know, avoid high flow to avoid fluid overloading, you know, watch and title, especially in our hypoventilation kids, we'll put those notes like, hey, red flag, watch your, watch your ATCO2 the entire time, you know, in route. Then we have, of course, medications, allergies, but it's, it's typical, you know, thing, typical things you would find on any type of emergency care plan, but they're just very tailored to the child. Oh, their medical equipment, there's a section for just their home medical equipment, settings, sizes. That's something if they have to go to outside hospitals, because we actually, you know, our plans are also written for the community hospital as well. And most parents can spout off sizes, but sometimes they're like, oh gosh, I don't know what I have to look, you know, for what size g-tube they have or you know what size and brand and length of trach they have and the rts there will want to know their beds their bed settings and six settings versus well settings so we'll have that all on there and another area another group of kids that i'm extremely passionate about are our palliative slash hospice track children so at we're very, very careful to have all of our children that are going home with any type of end of life order is in the STARS program with their DNR orders attached. So yeah, there's the ability to ability to put attachments in our forms. So any, you know, any specialty letters for clinics that you may want to accompany it or you know, do not resuscitate order. Um, instructions, we have children with LVADs. So we'll put, you know, just common alarms, et cetera, as attachments on there. I get dispatched for a STARS kid. How do I access that emergency care plan? Hopefully you're dispatched on a STARS kid. Hopefully you're, you're, you're working for an agency who works closely with us, which is we've got 
most. <laughs> um, I think all of them in St. Louis County, St. Louis City, and plenty in, in Illinois. Um, so how you access a STARS plan is your dispatch notifies you you are responding on a STARS child, and you actually get a text link now, which is really exciting. That's a 2020 feature that we're, something good happened in 2020. Um, you'll get a text link to your either your personal phone for some agencies who will allow it and um, are willing to monitor that or to your truck phone. And that link, if you click on it, will take you directly to the emergency plan. Uh, we knew we had to go, we had to move to electronic um, just for version control. You know, we update these every six months and a lot of them require it sooner than six months because our kids are so complex that are in the program. So that way we know you are accessing the be up to date plan that and it's the same exact plan that our hospital is going to access if you call for assistance, that it's been fully approved. That's another unique aspect of STARS is that I included the EMS medical directors. That was very important, especially when you were asking for paramedics to deviate at all from typical protocol or perform procedures that aren't typical or go that extra 20 minutes to the tertiary facility. So our all of our plans are dual approved. You have um, your first approval from the hospital and then a secondary approval from your EMS medical director. So you know that you can perform any of the interventions that are listed and um, it's as a standing order. It's already been approved, so you're good to go. Um, and then when you open that link, it'll ask if you're accessing for an emergency, yes or no. And you click whether it's yes or no, which is if it's for an emergency, which it typically is, you hit yes, we do. You know, we appreciate people look at plans if we send new kids to areas, you know, or update plans. We expect people to look at them, but that's just a way to track how often they're being viewed and by whom. You know, when you hit that accessing for emergency, we can look back then and make sure we're capturing every call that was run. That's how we're able to catch some of those treat no transports and really look into those and follow up. Um, it's interesting. You know, you'll see the multiple when you see the the program work really well. You'll see multiple emergency accesses on one kid in one day, and that's usually. That's exciting because that means you've got dispatch, you know, tapping yes. You have, you know, both EMS providers, sometimes fire department um, and our hospital, you know, because when they call in, let's say I'm bringing you in, you know, star seven, you know, seven, five, six, and they will access it on the hospital side too and be prepared for the child as they come in, which has also been fantastic. I'm sure we'll get another podcast on some of the hurdles that you probably had to overcome to get the program up and running, you know, with all the different agencies, dispatch, legal component. Yes. What, if it was one hurdle that was the toughest for you, could you tell me about it and how you got over it? The actual logistics of the program, um, the actual build of the program, the biggest hurdle would be convincing the hospital risk management, um, the hospital legal teams, the EMS legal teams, that this is not a violation of HIPAA. This is controlled. This is a voluntary program. You know, parents don't have to be in STARS. They're knocking down our doors to be in STARS, but they don't have to be. And 
our release form, which is also on every single plan, clearly states that this plan can be printed in paper, that it's going to be accessed by school nurses, by emergency departments, fire departments, 911 dispatch centers, used for education, and that we're also going to be using this information for QI, QA processes and process improvement, you know, and steering the program in the future. So parents are very well aware that we're a startup that, you know, we're ever changing and that this information is out there. And I actually had one mom say, put his information on the side of the ambulance and drive around town. I don't care. I want them to take care of them. It's just that, you know, people who you get so terrified of HIPAA and it's serious. I do take it seriously. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just completely lackadaisical about it, but, um, that I think that would definitely have been the biggest hurdle, especially on the hospital side, you know, just really fighting and breaking through those barriers and saying, no, the, the risk, you know, the benefits here outweigh the risk by far, you know, look at these cases and their outcomes. Congratulations, 2018 GEMS EMS-10 Innovation Award. Uh, that must have been a great honor for you. It's, it's great to hear. Uh, how did you hear about it? And who told you about it? I heard about that via email. Um, it was exciting. I didn't know that I had been um, nominated for that. It was actually the medical director of St. Louis City EMS and separately a um, educator out at the largest ambulance district in Missouri, St. Charles County Ambulance District. They had both nominated me separately and I, I did not know that and it was a very nice it was a very nice surprise. My understanding there's a motto for the program? Yeah, a couple. Yeah. One kid counts is our hashtag mantra. Um, I have, you know, kids not cases is our newest one. <laughs> but uh, you know, when Kid Counts is is definitely our team, our team motto. It's it's our hashtag. The hospital picked it up as well. If people want to learn more about the program and get in contact with you, how can they do that? More than welcome to email me at uh, patricia.casey at ssmhealth.com. Um, you can look us up on, you can Google us and look us up on our hospital website. We also have three social media pages. I have a Twitter page and um, we have a Facebook page and a Instagram page that are pretty well followed. Trisha, I want to thank you very much for spending some time with me on my podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.